and welcome back, everyone. The Romans Empire Pod is back for a new season. Andres, I know that we were uh, that we were looking um, into starting starting our recording earlier, but that didn't really pan out too well. This was one of the busiest summers of my life, so I'm sorry, everyone. I wish we could have recorded more, but Andres, I mean, how are you doing, man? How was your summer so far? Man, it's been a good summer. It's We've had plenty of football to keep us busy. I can't believe we're already just two weeks away from the Premier League. It's been so long, but it's been nice to watch Chelsea under Lampard in the meantime, so can't complain. Women's World Cup was fun. The U21 Euros were fun. Mm-hmm. Copa America is always exciting. So just glad to have Chelsea back. It, it It's really nice to have Chelsea back. I remember, I mean, I was tweeting earlier today and I was, you know, I, I had to erase it because I just felt like I was stating the obvious. But it was something along the lines of this must have been the longest summer of all time because there's no self-inflicted Chelsea drama. There's no media-driven Chelsea drama. No manager-driven Chelsea drama. No, you know, Chelsea drama whatsoever <laughs> at all. It's actually quite rosy uh, at, at Chelsea right now. I mean, we got Frank At least back. for our standards. <laughs> yeah, for our standards, for sure. So, I mean, preseason kicked off. Um, we already had a few games already. The most recent, uh, our 4-3 win against Reading, where uh, Mason Mount absolutely shined. Um, but so far, I mean, the preseason looks pretty good. Um, I think there's no better place to start than Frank Lampard. So, I mean, Andres, give me your initial, um, insight as to what exactly we're seeing from, uh, the teams that Lampard has selected. Yeah. Um, one thing that's been very, very obvious is that Lampard is going to deploy. I think it looks a little bit more of what Liverpool likes to do with their counter pressing. It feels like the moment we lose the ball in the final third, the front three, front four are going all out trying to win it back. Um, it's actually one of the ways we scored against Reading this past week. Um, I've seen now the fullbacks getting a little bit more involved. Like I can't, I couldn't believe my eyes when Aspie had a cutback cross. That was nuts. Um, I'd say the passing is a little bit more direct. I, Lampard also wants a lot of passing and, and movement of the ball, not so many touches like Sari did, but you could see already the, the slight differences. Jorginho is just not passing the ball, waiting for a mistake to happen. It looks like we're pushing the envelope rather than waiting to adapt to what the other team is doing. So, yeah, it looks like it's going to be a lot more direct, which is what we all wanted. And Lampard seems to be toying between the 4-2-3-1 and 4-4-2 diamond. So, uh, it, I don't know if the 4-3-3's just kind of been put in the back pocket due to the injuries, but I think we'll be starting the season with one of the two, one of those two formations. I mean, I could definitely see why Frank is going for 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2. I think he's going to go with some sort of variation where he could just throw on as many midfielders as possible. Because if you look at our roster right now, uh, all 40-some players, <laughs> and you identify... <laughs> The one position where we probably don't need any reinforcements in, it's it's midfield. I mean, we, we were talking just before we got on the air. I mean, we have a huge problem with uh, the number 10 conundrum, don't we? I mean, we have three <laughs> we have three players that could be starting on almost any other Premier League team as a starting number 10, minus, you know, uh, Liverpool and City. Uh, and Ross Barkley, Mason Mount, and Loftus-Cheek. Maybe not so much Mason Mount yet. He's relatively unproven. But definitely Loftus-Cheek and to an extent Ross Barkley. Um, something I think is interesting is that you know Mason Mount did play out wide um, when, we, when he was at Vitesse. Um, and I don't know if uh, any of our listeners that are listening now listened to us back then. But I recall uh, me and Saul mentioning that he was playing out on the wing about two seasons ago. It was our first season ever recording the show. Uh, I think he scored his ninth goal of the season. I believe it was a free kick. Um, but anyways, I'm just bragging now. But back to Lampard. I mean, we we got to get to the point here. I think something that I found most impressive about Frank Lampard um, and the reason why I think it's not going to be a complete disaster this season is to weigh – he uh the the way he speaks to the media the way he answers questions uh pre-match post-match um even in his introductory press conference 
the man speaks what's on his mind. He doesn't bullshit. He doesn't beat around the bush. Um, he doesn't do that whole, uh, he doesn't buy into the mind games, um, which is interesting considering that, you know, he had what two stints under Jose. Um, but that's something that I found most interesting. And I think that that could, that could definitely translate into a very, very long coaching career because when you're blatantly honest to the media and, and you're full of praise for your players and you're constantly quoted, uh, uh, you know, saying good things about your players. Like, like look at the things he said about Pulisic and about the quality he has. Him pleading for Callum Hudson-Odoi um, to, to sign that contract. You know, he spoke about um, Tammy Abraham earlier this preseason and and, and Michi Batshuayi as well and, and, and saying that, you know, we do have strikers at our disposal regardless of what the media is saying. I think that rubs off on the squad. And I think you could tell based on social media, um, based on what the players are saying, the different pictures that are coming out of, you know, Japan and, and, uh, and, and Ireland, wherever we're doing our preseason nowadays, the squad just looks happy. And I, and I think a huge reason for that is the way Frank Lampard has been speaking to the media. I mean, what do you think about that? Am I just seeing things? Is everything just too rosy in my eyes or is this actually, do we actually feel like there's been fresh air blown into Chelsea's lungs? Yeah, definitely. I think that bringing back Frank Lampard is definitely step one. I think step two is the fact that with this transfer ban, everybody has been given a clean slate, or at least they were beginning the preseason. So the fact that Lampard's first press conference, he's talking about really looking at the team, looking at what we have, looking at what they can do, and from those things, deciding how the team will play is it is a breath of fresh air for the fans, for the players, for the academy hopefuls that he's not coming in with any predetermined judgments on any player. Like when Sari came in, he instantly told Drinkwater and Victor Moses, hey, guys, you, you're done. Figure out what you want to do with yourselves because you're not going to be part of this team. Mm-hmm. Lampard has actually come in and said, whether you're 19 years old or you're 33 years old, you, what you do for the next month, two months, is what decides your place on this team. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he's not f- f- buying into the drama or, or he's not really lying to the media. He means it. We've seen a lot of players who we didn't think had a future at Chelsea be given this kind of second chance at, at life as a blue. And some more than others have really taken that and and run with it. So I think that I think that is what gets me excited is that yes, we're supposed to be in this dark cloud and worst case scenario thing with the transfer ban, but like you said, it is a breath of fresh air and things seem to be slightly more positive than we really expected it to be in this preseason. I mean, and, and even if you move down the ladder or even up the ladder for that matter, I mean, you look at a guy like Peter Cech you see how lucky we are to have someone with that kind of influence and that kind of respect and adoration from the fans to be put in a position that he's in because that's arguably a more important position than one that Frank Lampard is in right now. I mean, we haven't had a sporting director, anybody that uh, oversees um, you know, the, the, the transfer ingoings and outgoings and, and, and the youth system. Uh, besides Marina, since Emanalo left, and Marina hasn't been doing a very good job. Um, she's great at selling players, buying players, eh, not so much. But we got a guy like Peter Cech coming in. First thing he does is he offers Callum Hudson Adoy that contract again. He wants him to sign it. That trickles down to Frank Lampard pleading uh, in public, which is definitely something that Peter Cech is not telling him uh, to stop doing. <laughs> behind closed doors because you know it's 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 obvious the kid needs to sign i mean it would be a huge loss if we if he didn't um but the fact that he's so close with lampard and that they were teammates and they've won together they've lost together they have that camaraderie that that sort of brotherhood um that you know frank is able to go into the media and be as honest as he's being without it without really getting any backlash because you know the sporting director uh is essentially co-signing him in that respect but you know I, I mentioned moving down a ladder you look at a guy like Jody Morris you know we praise Lampard for for everything he's done and you know yes I, we do hold him in a higher regard because he achieved more on the pitch for us um, but 
we Jody Morris's contribution shouldn't be understated. He's a fantastic coach. He's proven um, that he's a fantastic coach. I mean, multiple dynasties of of of, of youth teams. The reason why we have this influx of youth now is because of all the work Jody Morris put in years ago, um, and 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 maybe that's another reason why a lot of our players are happy, especially the younger players. They feel comfortable, and I think Jody Morris is a very good uh, mediator between you know uh, trying to impress Frank Lampard every time he touched the ball by doing something spectacular, but also feeling comfortable in your own skin by having you know your coach that's that's coached you for three, four, five years of your youth playing days. So, um, but, but I do want to move on a little bit. Um, we, we talked about Frank and Jody and the impact they had. Let's talk about the actual players, the, the on field product. We have Mason Mount here. He's clearly the standout player so far this preseason. Um, what have we been seeing from Mason Mount so far, Andres? I, I want to start by saying probably flexibility. He he is not just an attacking midfielder, as you can see by the way he's deployed on the four four two diamond. He's playing in the two center mid spots right in front of what Jorginho is holding as the defensive center mid, and he's doing the work both on the front end and and helping back in defense in the build up, uh, overlapping runs past the forwards, very very astute passing. Uh, there has been there's been a couple of of plays where he's made. Some some clever direct passes through traffic to our forwards, and and the, the simplest one is an eye for goal. Whether it's a pretty shot or an ugly one, Mason Mount has been able to find. He's been our leading scorer this off season, uh, preseason, and that's extremely important to us after losing someone like Eden Hazard, who was responsible for over 52 percent of our goals. So the goals are going to have to come from somewhere. We can't just put all the weight on one person. And to think that our third option for a number 10 or center mid spot is someone that can bring that off the bench or in games that others may consider not a big time game is huge for the team. So like Lampard said, Mason Mount didn't just make an argument to staying on the team. He's now making an argument to be a first team uh, starter. So it's it's been a very very good summer for Mason Mount, and it's not just because he's worked with Frank before; it's because he's putting it out on the pitch for Chelsea as well. I mean, I I think it's uh I think it's a really smart thing he said there. You know, he is making a legitimate case to be a starter against Manchester United in a few weeks' time. Um, so far, we haven't seen anybody as dynamic as him at the number ten position in the absence of Loftus Cheek. This does kind of move on to the next person uh, we were going to talk about. Actually, Andres, if you're looking at the script, we're going to skip one. I, w- I want to go straight to Ross Barkley since we're talking about 10s. I want to stick with the theme here. Yeah. Um, another player who's impressed a lot this preseason, right? Um, we know uh, – I-, I think every Chelsea fan knew last season that Ross Barkley did not play or did not have the season that he wanted to have by any stretch of the imagination – um, he started out pretty well. He scored a few important goals for us. He had a great match at Southampton, I remember. Uh, he he saved us a point against Man United at home. Uh, injury time winner. Um, he, he's had some big moments for us, but that consistency seems to be an issue with him. Um, and, and, and now that he seems to get this, you know... Uh, injury-prone label off of his head, uh, especially after last season, staying healthy for basically the whole season, for mm-hmm. the most part at least, um, and and looking fit as well. That was his chance to shine, and he just didn't. And now this preseason comes along. He looks dynamic. He's running with the ball. Uh, he's playing more direct, with suit, which suits his style. And he's also playing his natural position, which is right off of the, uh, right off of the striker. So... Um, what do, what do we expect from Ross Barkley this season? I mean, are we, especially if Loftus Cheek comes back? I mean, it's probably going to be Loftus Cheek at the ten, starting every match, um, mm-hmm. as 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 long as he could stay healthy. And then I would say right now Mason Mount is probably that number two, but I could definitely see Lampard sliding Mason Mount onto one of the wings, you know, in the absence of William and Cho. Right. But but what do you see from Ross Barkley that you think could translate into production uh, this season? Yeah, uh, going back to last season, I really think that he started well, and then the more Sari put in 
his tactics and, and being more strict into getting his football to come out, I think the more he doubted what he was supposed to do on the ball. So for one, he was playing as an eight rather than a 10, and that's already taking him out of what he can do best. Then, of course, all this passing till we finally break down a, a team and whatnot, that's not his style. Ross Barkley succeeds the most whenever he can get the ball in a further position, less passing, more so dribbling around the box. We've seen in this preseason already that he's he's kind of getting his confidence back shooting from distance, scored from outside the box against Barcelona to, to win the match. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, again, the two formations that Lampard is playing, Barkley fits in both at the number 10 spot. He he seems to understand more what's expected of him, much like when he went and played for the England national team. That's the kind of performance we're seeing again. And yes, I know it's the preseason. We need to take that with a grain of salt. But even then, you can tell that he's getting his confidence back. And honestly, if he starts playing well in the season, I'd say give RLC the time to heal properly and ride it out with between Mount and Barkley if they can maintain these performances. I think... Most people are going to say, oh, well, is this going to be a selection headache? I don't see it as that. If anything, it'll give us and the give Chelsea and the medical team the time they truly need to get our young future and present stars in Loftus-Cheek and, and, and uh, Hudson-Odoi the time to recover completely. So yeah, for I me, mean, go ahead. It's a good point mentioning that, you know, uh, Mason Mount could come in and, and, and Ross Barkley and sort of like relieve Loftus-Cheek and, you know, have him sit in a corner and take his time with his treatment. But like you also mentioned Callum Hudson-Odoi, and, and I mentioned earlier too that Mason Mount could play out on the wings. Mm-hmm. So he's not he, he's not only helping out the Loftus-Cheek situation, but he could also possibly remedy this Callum Hudson-Odoi situation. Um, and, and based on what we know, or what at least what the reports are saying, uh, chose a lot closer to uh, to to returning than than originally planned. Um, hopefully, they don't rush him in that in that respect. But yeah, Andres, I mean, you're you're totally right. Mason Mount can fill in for Loftus Cheek, or he can fill in for Callum Hudson Adoy. Um, but we do have another young winger. An American winger wearing Chelsea blue. Finally, dude, we mentioned how many times have we mentioned Christian Pulisic on this podcast and be like shocked that we're even saying it out loud. Like (laughs) it's still it, it, it still feels weird to me. Like it hasn't fully hit me yet. Maybe not until my Pulisic jersey comes in the mail. Oh man, I, I'm still what yeah, I, I can't wait for the full squad number list to come out yeah, just I mean, to see if just if need that's to get this number ten shenanigans over with already. Oh man, well and we'll get to that in a bit, but I think it's now we've gotten to a point now this summer where our Chelsea fans, English fans, European fans now truly understand the potential of Pulisic. Yeah. He had a fantastic gold cup for the he US. He was the best player. Yeah, I honestly think it was the best player at the Gold Cup. Yeah, agreed. He and he played across the front three for the U.S. throughout the tournament. He played on the left. He played on the in the number ten spot. He played sometimes off the right. So, but obviously when he came on against Barcelona, when people saw him break Pique's ankles, dribble past Busquets, people were like, okay, I, now I get it. What people were saying, it's not. People were quick, so quick. The English media was so quick to say that. Pulisic had been benched by Sancho that nobody really mentions the fact that he had a nagging calf injury the whole season or the fact that at 20 years old, he's got just as many goals and assists career wise as, as such a high summer target as Nicolas Pepe. Like this kid can be the real deal. And he, this summer with what he did in the U S makes me believe that he knows that this is his moment to show that. Like he's making this big, big step going to Chelsea because he he's not done proving that he can he has so much more in his tank, and and so much more of a ceiling. So I'm really excited. He's had a lot more limitations to his playing time just because he joined a little bit later. But I fully expect Pulisic to be a starter uh, this season. I mean, he even has the Eden Hazard co-sign, doesn't he? I mean, Hazard said he he has all the ability to become a star, and and it doesn't take much. I mean, you just you watch his on-field product and you draw comparisons with 
a few different players and uh you know i i see a little bit of hazard in in him in the way he's in the way he shifts around defenders almost effortlessly he's he's almost impossible to catch like he's he's probably one of those kids that was really good at playing tag when he was younger <laughs> just because he's so good at you know dodging and 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 ducking and you know um and and just basically effortless effortlessly uh going around defenders that's one he has a change of pace yeah, which, he's deceivingly fast exactly and he's not very short is he he's about 59510 so he's a little bit taller than your average winger um actually he probably resembles a more modern winger uh in that respect usually they're a little bit taller and more lanky more athletic now but Andres, you you talked about how versatile he is and that's the key here he can play in any system he can play anywhere across the front line um, we haven't seen him play as a striker he probably can't play there but you could play him anywhere across the midfield except the number six um and and he has that he has that little bit of tenacity. He has that little bite defensively. And I mentioned it uh, the last time we recorded. I said, I think Chelsea fans would be very pleased uh, or, or pleasantly surprised with Pulisic's work rate defensively, um, especially with the with the U.S. national team. I mean, I specifically remember the match we lost against Trinidad in Trinidad, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to remind everyone what the implications of that match were. <laughs> But that match, yeah, um, I think it was like 87th or 86th minute, and Pulisic was the only one out there sprinting and closing the ball down. A little 18-year-old burst on the scene who happened to put the U.S. on his back uh, in trying to get them a World Cup spot, but you know that not happening because you can't do it on your own. But that little, but, but, but that that kind of heart, that kind of energy, that kind of desire—that's what Chelsea fans have been missing for God knows how long now. Um, and we see it all over all over football Twitter. You know, the old school Chelsea fans, the real footballing fans, the diehards—we don't really care as much about necessarily winning the Premier League every single season and playing the flashiest football and doing this and that. No. We want to have some 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 success, right? Of course, that's the end game. But we just want to see players that want to wear the shirt and have that desire. And Pulisic is the perfect player to do that at Chelsea. So, I mean, I guess just to kind of round this Pulisic conversation off, Andres, give me a projection. What do you see from him? I mean, it could be a it could be a number. It can be. Um, where do you think he'll play by the end of the season? I mean, where do you, what do you see a year from now? Yeah. Uh, for one, uh, one thing I wanted to add, I know people are scared about his size, but one thing that I want to point out is that playing in the, for the U S national team, that means that he has to play against CONCACAF nations. And one thing that is true across the board in CONCACAF is they are dirty physical <laughs> brute teams you're not he gonna play he gets you're kicked not like play. hazard in Concacaf. yeah exactly yeah. That, that's what i was gonna get at you're not gonna play stylistically beautiful teams like you do in in uefa with spain italy whatever you're playing teams that are gonna sit back and they're gonna essentially knock your ass down 10 times in the first 20 minutes to prove a point so if you think that that's gonna deter him i invite you to watch some of his usa highlights because while I do think he needs to fill out, I also think he's going to be ready for the physicality of the Premier League. I, th- um, I think durable to, is a good word to describe yeah. it. Yeah. And, and as to where he'll be, I think Pulisic is going to, even though he's right-footed, and I know I personally have wanted a left-footed right winger, I think that he'll take that right mid, right wing spot and make it his own. I think it'll he'll, he will be one of our leading assisters based on the fact that he can actually put in a decent ball into the box and our current crop of forwards love to receive crosses inside the box. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be my big one. And I think that, you know, we have good dribblers in lots of chic and Kovacic in in the team. And obviously we're going to be missing hazard, but I think his dribbling is going to surprise a lot of people. So, so my big, I guess my big prediction of what I would want from Pulisic, I want him to be probably leader, if not top two in assists within the Chelsea side. 
I, I definitely see that being feasible. He's similar to Hazard in that respect where he doesn't score as much as he creates. And I, I think if you look at his career numbers, you know, you could tell. But if you look at his numbers for the U.S. national team, he does both. Yeah, I I think he's a I think he's the fastest player. Uh, he's the fastest to reach twenty plus goals and assists for the U.S. men's national team, which is just insane. He has like seventeen goals and twenty appearances or something along those lines. Um, but he's 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 ridiculously talented. We're not saying he's world class. He's not going to be Hazard. He's not going to put up fifteen and fifteen in four years time. Um, it's a possibility, you know, but w- with anybody that young, but he, Chelsea fans are going to like what they see. And I guess that's the point here. And the fact that Lampard's our manager right now too, and likes to play, you know, this counter pressing style, high energy, uh, quick pacey wingers, get down a line, put balls in a box. I think Pulisic ticks all the boxes. So, um, looking forward to it. And th- that's definitely my Jersey this year. I was thinking about it on my way home too. That last year I got Ngolo Conte, or last year I got Rudiger. The year before I got Conte, I still don't have a Dave jersey, and I feel really bad about that. But <laughs> I think I think Pulisic's definitely next for me. I mean, who who'd be next for you? Oh man, I'm still trying to figure that out. Not gonna lie, uh, I was trying. I was thinking it'd be kind of cool to get the the newest kit with a Lampard eight. Oh yeah, that'd be so. I sick. think. I think I made my mind up though. Loftus Cheek is gonna be my next one for sure. I, I just again have to wait for the numbers. There's you never know. He might not be number twelve anymore. Yeah. I, I, it doesn't. It's, it's twelve looks kind of funny on him, anyways. But yeah, it's one of those things. I, I Loftus Cheek is my my current favorite Chelsea player, and it, I almost got it last season. Regret not doing so. He, I'm gonna get probably the the home kit with Loftus Cheek on the back. So, I mean, speaking of kits, you are still in the clear to wear your Kovacic kit. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting to record because my boy Kovacic not only permanently signed, but has been tearing it up for Frank Lampard's midfield recently. And people are noticing. So it's not just me aimlessly defending the fact that if we played Kovacic deeper or if we played in a more direct style, like, Things would come in the very first preseason match. He got an assist to Mason Mount from deep with a yeah. very good piercing really nice ball. ball. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, the double pivot right now of him and Jorginho when the four-two-three-one has been deployed has been great. Um, in the four-four-two diamond, when he's playing slightly forward, you can tell he's being told to be more of the one that stays back, letting Mount go forward, and it shows. Actually, him dribbling out of pressure led to. Uh, one of the goals against Reading. So, again, so excited about the fact that Kovacic is getting to play to his strengths. Again, I think part of it is not having to do all the aimless passing. Maybe he can use his dribbling a little bit more to his advantage. And, again, he can try to find those long through balls that made him so good with Madrid and, and with that connection he had with, actually, Alvaro Morata back when they were both at Madrid. So, so excited that my... Jersey, my third kit from last season is not getting put into the attic for good. Kovacic, You're the only person I know with a third kit, Kovacic. <laughs> I'm pro- yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure the 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 printing shop was like, oh, I can't believe I have to get these Eastern European letters out here. But hey, I get to rock it proudly. It sounds like he's gonna have a great turnaround under Lampard, and I, I can't wait. You know. I think a recurring theme with Lampard because you talk about tearing up Lampard's midfield, right? It's not – he hasn't just been playing one established position. I mean we've seen him move to cross all three midfield positions last season under Sarri. And we've also seen him play different roles uh, for Frank Lampard this preseason. Is a theme with Lampard this versatile uh, – multifaceted multi-purpose squad like is that what he's trying to go for because you're looking at the players who are impressing they're all versatile for the most part i mean i'd say the only player we've talked about that hasn't that that's not very versatile is probably ross barkley because i think he could only he could only play the 10 and the 8 yeah but you got pulisic could play across the line mason mount could play he could play the 8 the 10 on either wing um 
you got uh, Kovacic, who could play anywhere uh, in the center of that midfield. Jorginho, much of the same. Conte could do uh, – you could throw Conte in goal. He'll probably do a job. But you also <laughs> see guys that are, that are uh, impressing like Kennedy, who is another versatile player that has – impressed in the preseason as as much as you know uh i don't know if, i don't know if it, i necessarily hate to admit it i've always been a fan of his up until the china thing because i was pretty fucked up um but the fact that he's still in the squad he's still fighting for a spot um and he's doing well but again like going back to that versatility he could play left back or he could play left mid he could play left wing we saw him play wing back under conte and do a decent job you know, is that a theme that that Lampard's going to go for? Like, are you down for that? Because I kind of am. Yeah, I think that the word for me is adaptability. I think yeah. Frank is going to put out what's best for the current team situation or versus who you're playing mm-hmm. to get the result. By no means do I think that he's going to be parking the bus, but I really do think that we're seeing it this preseason. He started the preseason with a 4-3-3 to see if what – was happening last season is what the what the pl- players and the team needed most but when he saw that that was kind of still not what the current group could do he switched to the 4-4-2 and the 4-2-3-1 and, and we've looked a lot more comfortable since mm-hmm. uh you mentioned mason mount you mentioned Pulisic. you mentioned all these players that can do multiple jobs i think that only adds to the fact that there is a plan b there, there will always be a plan B. If we need yeah. a late goal, we'll switch formations to whether it's a four-two-three-one or the, or sorry, four-two-three-one, yeah, or the four-four-two diamond. The fact that he's doing this and and trying it with different players in different places because we've actually seen the four-two-three-one with Abraham playing it in the three instead of the striker position. Uh, like I said, in the four-four-two diamond, we've seen both Mountain Barkley in the four midfield spot. So. I really do think that Frank is trying to have these two formations as a way of, okay, this isn't working against what we're currently facing, but we have and are comfortable going into this other mold. And what would you look at that? The players that are on the field can do both. Let's switch it up and see if that makes any changes happen. So yeah, I I think adaptability is definitely it. I think that Lampard is going to have a preferred formation but that doesn't mean that we won't deviate from it much like what we've seen with Klopp and what we've seen with Pep and what we've seen with plenty of managers in the Premier League that there isn't just one way to win there could be a preferred way but you you have to be able to win ugly and and win pretty so yeah I I think that we'll be seeing I'd say probably a split of like 70 30 in terms of like the preferred and then a secondary formation throughout the season I mean, you look at you look at Lampard's career. I mean, he's he's seen his most success under a manager like Jose Mourinho, who is a, the epitome of reactionary. So he does have that ingrained in him a bit, right? Like he's experienced success as a footballer um, by being managed by reactionary managers like Jose uh, Ancelotti to a certain extent, um, and, and you know that's that's something that's already ingrained in him. And I think that it's going to be a positive for us because. Again, the squad speaks for itself. It is very, very adaptable. You could probably place, you could probably get away with seven or eight different formations and be a half decent side. And there's not many other teams uh, in England, let alone Europe, that you could do the same with. Just, just ask Burnley, who's been playing a four-four-two for seven, eight years already, <laughs> probably more than that in a row. But um, speaking of the list, right? We talk about the people who are impressing. Um, Andres, I know they're listed here, um, but the people that have not impressed, Drinkwater, Bakioko, Zappacosta, uh, is he still alive? Where is he? Um, <laughs> kind of concerned. <laughs> um, but those are three guys who are surely gone. Oh, I mean, yeah. I This last match... Drinkwater and Makayoko, they started and it was just so bad. I, I there, there's nothing else I can say. The the Bakayoko of AC Milan never got back to London. 
I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the fact that there's a, a rumored potential PSG loan. Well, apparently, in the background. apparently PSG dropped their interest because I, th- I think oh. Idrissa Gay is like pretty much a done pretty deal. Pretty much now. a done deal, right? So, I'm I'm not sure. I think that maybe it's just one of those things where this league just does not fit his style. And well, we we you live and you learn. Maybe the French league is not the easiest place to transition from towards the Premier League. It's just not working. I, it's just not. We saw the real Bakayoko for about a month when he first landed. I thought you were going to say against Wat- against Watford. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, by far the worst performance I've ever seen in a Chelsea kit. But I, yeah, he's gone. Drink water. He was trying. I'll, I'll give him that. At the beginning of the preseason, you could tell, but. The, the quality's just not there. He and, hasn't played in 400 days, right? Right. <laughs> More and, than and a year I and think, a half. I think that Chelsea at this point will do what they can to, to get him out of there. I'm sure they'll even probably pay for part of his wages just to make sure that he's not here anymore. And then Zappa Costa, I mean, he's a wing back by nature. He's not a right back. He just isn't. His defending is atrocious. Yes, he's quick down the line and sometimes can put in a good cross, but... That's just not what you need right now. You need a guy that's prime, like that has the defensive roots and can make it forward, not vice versa. And we do have Reese James, who is rehabbing, and Chelsea uh, are very aware of his talents. Wigan Player of the Year, most Man of the Match awards for a non-offensive player in the championship. So the rumor is that Zapacosta leaving would only help secure a, a direct line of the first team for Reese James, who Chelsea also wants to extend his contract. So him yeah. leaving just makes absolute and complete sense. The other two are just shame on Chelsea kind of thing for not doing their homework before just buying stopgap solutions. But yeah, those three guys, I, I, I can't see any future in this squad. Plus two of the three guys are foreign players and, and the homegrown quota is a, a major issue always for Chelsea so getting rid of them can only help with squad building and, and that sort of thing I I want to move on to the strikers really quick um it's <laughs> Giroud hasn't really seen the pitch much uh whether that's due to uh, like what Lampard is doing defensively or um what he's doing tactically or uh maybe he's just kind of giving Giroud the summer off he did play the world cup last summer uh, he did play in the Europa League final, so you know he did finish his season pretty late. But he should have gotten some, some you know substantial preseason minutes by now. I know he did get some minutes, right? Didn't he play like? Yeah, yeah. He he's been he getting a little run out, but he's getting some minutes, and yeah. maybe he is getting his minutes managed because he's older. But the it's it's not the amount of minutes, but who he's playing with. That's my worry. It's it's the group around him of the players who who Lampard's trying to make it mesh with. It's always been the the B squad, the wannabes, the ones that are fighting for their life in this squad. He he scored a couple of goals against St. Andrews, if I'm not mistaken, early this preseason. But yeah, this last game, I guess I was expecting against Reading, I was expecting him to get maybe a run out with the first team. You know, we're getting closer to to Manchester United. And I just have yet to see, and, and this is across the the board with all three forwards. I I just don't know who the starter is going to be. I it, I can't tell right now who who is going to be the starting forward. But this something is tells this is me the that, debate right now, right? Yeah. Like because because we have three forwards that are just completely different in style uh, between all three of them. We got a guy like Giroud, who's the high IQ target man that you, that's basically a human wall pass, right? Mm-hmm. Um, probably he's probably our best link up player in the squad, uh, <laughs> arguably. Then you got a guy like Tammy Abraham who had his season in the premier league, didn't impress, but you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. Cause that Swansea team was shit. Um, but then he goes and lights it up in the championship for multiple seasons. I mean, he joined in January and finished as a top scorer, didn't he? Or, or second, I think it was Timu Puki was first, but whatever. Then you got a guy like Michi Batshuayi who uh, smiles and nods on the training pitch, and then the second he steps out onto the field, just kind of does his own thing, but gets goals anyways. Um, 
you know, like, like he's going to score. Um, and that's just the difference between the three of them. It's not like um, one of them has a defining trait that puts them just a little bit over the next. They're all pretty much on the same wave, same wavelength. Um, but one thing I am going to say, and, and I want to mention this about Tammy Abraham. Um, yes, he did get his goal against Barca. He missed uh, he missed a sitter right before it. I saw that. I haven't been yep. watching much preseason, but I did see that. But then he had the composure to just kind of like dink it around Ter Stegen. Um, but something I see with Tammy that's appealing to me is his pace. I think in a straight sprint, you know, he's long, he's lanky. He has sort of a sprinter's body in a sense. Um, he's, he's not the fastest player in the world, but... I think he has that little turn of pace that Lampard might enjoy, especially against the top the top sides where we're probably going to be sitting in and, and hitting on the counter. Um, and he also has size in front of goal too. Like he, he can leap, he can get up in the air, he can he can knock balls down into into runners' feet. Um, he, he can score goals. He can turn and run with the ball. Mason Mount's first goal against Reading was because Tammy Abraham turned and ran with the ball and then just squared it right over to Mason Mount who, who smashed it, right? That's, for me, that's who I would go with. I would probably give Tammy Abraham the most minutes here, and, and, and I'll tell you why. Giroud's 32 years old, yes. He will be serviceable, but that's all he is. You know, I, I, th- I think we get carried away after like a Giroud masterclass. He has that ability to put, put one or two matches together, but he's not going to go on a run of seven or eight games and light the world on fire. We saw that last season. When he became our first striker, he sort of dipped off a little bit. Then you got a guy like Michi Batshuayi, who's not young anymore. He is who he is, and all he is is a poacher. If he gets the ball inside the 18, he's going to smash it as hard as he could to one of the corners. That's all fine and great. The perfect characteristics for a number two. You got a guy like Tammy Abraham, on the other hand. He's young. He's hungry. He has something to prove. He took the number nine shirt, which tells a lot, um, but just has more footballing ability than Michi does. And he's younger and more athletic than Ali Giroud. And that's why I would probably get him ahead. I mean, what do you think? Am I just seeing things? Or am I just using him too much on FIFA? <laughs> uh, man, <clears throat> for one, one thing I didn't mention a second ago was that whenever Lampard has done the two forwards, it seems to he seems to keep forcing the Mishi-Tammy partnership, mm-hmm. which is why also I'm I'm kind of concerned about what Giroud's role is going to be because he is so good at linking up. <clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, the fact that he hasn't been put against Mishi where he can be the target and then plays Mishi through or even Tammy. Yeah. But in Lampard's system, again, one of the goals this weekend came from high pressure from our forwards. And we all know Giroud cannot do that for 60 to 90 minutes. And I, I truly believe that a lot of our goals aren't going to be because we broke this team down with fantastic passing, but because we forced them into a bad pass and we pounced on it. And I think that really is going to be our identity is that we're going to come in and we're going to force mistakes deep into your, uh, into the pitch and finish it in the final third, because there's times even in the double pivot where you see Jorginho being one of the people pressing actually Jorginho's assist this season also came from the high press so that seems to be why I think Mishi or Tammy will be the starter and I think that Giroud will come off the bench again as a we need a different sort of strategy in the last 30 minutes I actually uh, have a, I actually have a theory on Michi so I, I remember during Conte's reign there was we were <laughs> I remember I was pulling for him Sam, Sam hates Michi but that season, <laughs> Conte's second season, I was really pulling for Michi to succeed, right? And I was thinking maybe he could get more playing time. He's extremely serviceable. He's strong. He could hold off defenders. He could smack the shit out of a ball. Um, maybe he'll get some playing time in like the smash and grab Conte style. And then words started coming out. He doesn't take direction very well. He's not very coachable. Um, he, 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 he doesn't understand the tactical side of the game as much as he should. Um, and then, you know, sorry, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with him again. Sorry, a tactical manager air quotes because, you know, prove it. 
Um, <laughs> but then you got a guy like Lampard coming in. And I think Lampard has identified that, yes, maybe Michi is going to be the hardest one to coach out of all of them. And let me just give him as many minutes as early as possible. And let me give him as much direction as early as possible, just so I can make a decision. I think I think this is ultimately, you know, Michi will probably start the, the last two preseason games. I mean, he has been doing decent, right? Like his movement's okay. Yeah. Um, he's probably going to start the last two preseason games. And if he doesn't do anything absolutely extraordinary, I could definitely see Tammy Abraham taking over his spot. Maybe not necessarily on the first game of the season against Man United, but maybe a month, two months into the season after Michi goes dry and Lampard realizes, eh, I can't really coach him. Or Michi could respond to Lampard's coaching because he is a different type of coach, different type of manager, and sort of pull a rabbit out of his hat and just become this elite striker that we thought he was when we bought him for 30 some million years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of my theory on Michi. I think Frank is giving him extra playing time and extra direction now just so he can make his decision easier in the future as, okay, look, I gave the guy two or three months. I gave him all this direction. I've, I've tried to coach him into the role. I've tried to, I've tried to mold him into the player I want him to be. And he's just not getting it. Whereas Tammy, on the other hand, seems like a better natural footballer. I mean, it's just, you know, you see Tammy's first touch. You see the the way he reads the game. His movement is just as good, if not better, than Michi's um, in and around the box. The goals speak for themselves. I think, uh, I think the thing with Tammy is his composure in front of goal. I think that's his problem. I think he could be scoring a lot more goals than he does. But, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I'm team Tammy, if you couldn't tell, but... I mean, Andres, if you had to make your decision, who would you give it to for the whole season? I mean, if you, if you had to make the call right now against Man U, oh who's my. your striker? The whole season. Oof. Well, well, well maybe not the whole season. To start the against season. Against Man United. Yeah. Yeah. I think to start the season, if we go with the 4-2-3-1, because obviously there is the chance of the full 4-2, I, I think that actually Mishi's slightly ahead of Tammy still, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we have two more preseason games. We have one again here in Austria midweek, and then we have Mosh and Gladbach on Saturday. I think those two games are going to be very telling. Oh, the uh, Andreas Christensen derby, huh? Yeah. Should be a good one. Um, speaking of Germany, though, we have one Ethan Ampadu in Germany now, don't we? Yeah, um, he had a pretty good first game. So, yeah, yeah, he actually impressed. So, you know, didn't hear much about him uh, not being included in Lampard's squad until Lampard came out and said, you know, we're looking for a loan for him. And then the following morning, he's uh, seen in uh, Leipzig. So he did make the season-long loan move to RB Leipzig. Uh, they finished third in the Bundesliga last year, if I'm not mistaken. Right, my uh, Bundesliga expert? Yep. So third in the Bundesliga, a quality side. A side that actually plays uh, uh, exciting, um, intense, a a very exciting and intense brand of football. Um, It it should be a good move for him, right? I think it definitely is. For one, he's going to be working under one of the most exciting managers. Uh, Oh, my God. His name is freaking escaping me. He came out of Hoffenheim. Super young. Oh, Uh, Nagelsmann. Thank you. Yep. Wow, I can't believe that. He's, he likes to play with very involved center midfielders, and I really, truly hope that that's the position that Ampadu is being brought into to play that defensive center mid role, whether it's as a, as a destroyer or as a guy that starts the buildup. That's where I see his future, and I think that under Nagelsmann, he's going to have a, a good good season in, in the Bundesliga. I mean, what what is his competition looking like uh, at Leipzig for that center mid position? Because I mean, this is this is probably the biggest conundrum that that uh, that Ampadu has right now, um, and it's probably gonna have in his whole career. Is okay, I'm you know I, I'm still young, I'm 19, but I really need to start uh, refining my, my my craft for a specific position. What position is it? Right. I mean. Campbell is not going to get taken out of his position. Uh, they play Tyler Adams is injured, the American that plays for uh, Leipzig. So maybe 
he's going to be put into that position until Tyler Adams is back. Maybe he impresses to the point to where he's actually going to be competing for time with uh, with Adams. I I just don't because of his size or at least currently his size. I think he's more suited to the midfield. He plays there for Wales. He is such a commander and vocal leader on the pitch that I I just think his his traits just fit that role so much more. I would definitely like to see him playing defensive mid also because. I mean, when you really think about it, our best player right now is N'Golo Conte, uh, head and shoulders above everyone else, even though he's standing at, what, like 5'6". Um, <laughs> but I think maybe having Ampadu spend some time on loan, um, get a full season of football under his belt, get a real understanding of what type of fitness he needs to be in, what type of shape he's he, – how he needs to – how he needs to train his body, prepare his body and his mind for a full season of regular football because that's something that goes understated a lot. And going to a league like Germany that plays in a, you know a, a bunch of different climates um, but also plays uh, a, a brand of football that's similar to one you would find in the Premier League, right? Like very fast with a, with a, with a decent mix of technical and, and physicality. Um, I think it's a good move for him, and especially that he's going to a team that finished third in the Bundesliga last year. Yeah, it was a two-horse race, but Leipzig is no joke. Like They're a very, very, very good squad with classy players. They got Timo Werner. Ampadu's teammates with Timo Werner. Like Just let that sink in for a second. When we signed Ampadu when he was, what, 16 from Exeter, would you expect him to be playing with uh, the third place team in Bundesliga, you know, <laughs> at 19 years old, right? A, not a team all. like that wants him. And you mentioned Nagelsmann. That's the key here. We see his track record with young players. We know what he did at Hoppenheim. That team overachieved by a mile. And if you want the proof, just look at the league table from last season after he left. Look what he did with RB Leipzig. He completely transformed the way they played. Um, he's getting the best out of their players, but he also knows what he wants. And the fact that he went out and plucked Ampadu speaks a lot about what Ampadu has to offer. And let's not forget, you know, this isn't a weird or this isn't a uh, a lone move out of right field. Ampadu's, you know, firmly staked his place on the international football scene with with his performances for Wales. So we have to take that into account. You know, maybe that's what got him. Uh, you know, uh, this caliber of a loan move as opposed to you know maybe going to like a a championship side or or bottom of the table premier league side um but you know we are running low on time andres i want to get through uh i want to get through these two twitter questions we had because they're both very interesting so uh, actually this really isn't a question but i want to do a quick shout out to sujin uh she reached out to us um la chelsea blues represent um but she asks us, what are our realistic expectations for the season ahead? Um, where do you see us finishing in the table based on what we've seen so far? I know that's very objective and very, uh, you know, there's a million ways to answer that question. But w- what are your expectations? What would be defined as a successful season? I mean, a successful season regardless of the position on the table would mean some sort of domestic silverware, I think, or making it really deep into a domestic trophy, uh, realistic expectation. I think that a over the moon season means getting champions league spot, a good season would be anywhere between fifth and sixth, but the reality is, is that we could fall in any of those spots between fourth and seventh in my book. Mm-hmm. I think that the top two are set. I, I don't see, unless something crazy happens, I don't see City or Liverpool dropping from that tier. I think that Tottenham, just based on last season, probably have a, a good shot at the third place. But we do know they like to bottle it. And to be honest, they've been... They've had another very quiet window when they could have and should have kind of uh, taken the next step. I, I don't know if this is necessarily quiet. I I think they did take the next step. 
we'll, we'll, we can discuss That's... that more in more uh, detail, I guess, in the next pod we're going to talk to. But in terms of United and Arsenal, you we have no idea. Yeah. Uh, United had an awful second half of the season. Arsenal on the other end. Sean Longstaff, watch out, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on right now. All the there's a plenty of means of old Gunnar Solskjaer being like a pedophile because he's been signing just all these young, hungry players rather than <laughs> the higher quality players. But uh, Arsenal, we never know with them either. I think that their defense is still very suspect. There's us, then there's the pretenders in Leicester, West Ham, and Wolves, who may Why see the cracks. Anymore? Yeah, they they may see the cracks into the top four. Yeah. And, and or top six, I mean, and try to make a push. So I think that we need to set, we need to put, get, bring down the the expectation. Obviously, we're on a high with Lampard and and the youth players and and the ones that have already broken into the side. And now Pulisic is looking like the real deal. But at the same time, we don't have the depth of the city in a Liverpool yet because these guys are unproven talents. So I think we need to remember that this is going to be a very streaky season I, I i don't think consistency will come until maybe halfway through the season i think you'll see a very good performance one week then a mediocre one the next but as long as we see some gradual improvement from august to may and we we get some sort of european competition cross our fingers it is the champions league again because we are in the champions league this season I think that would be a more than successful season. We thought that getting fourth would be a success under Sarri. Getting fourth under Lampard in his first season is going to be insane. I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you, but I'm, I'm less focused on league position and cup runs as I am on establishing a brand. I want Lampard to come in and establish a brand of football that's exciting to watch, that's high energy, high tempo, um, but also organized, like something that the fans can get behind because Sari comes in and he uses these pretty words and talks about patterns of play and, you know, uh, movement in the final third and, you know, the, the whole Regista, Sarismo bullshit nonsense. Now, that's all fine and dandy, but the football wasn't enjoyable, right? Um, I think the biggest job that Lampard has right now is to get fans to enjoy football again, especially after last season. You know, we saw the crowd atmosphere. Um, there, It was the first time in my life, in my whole entire life, where I saw empty seats on TV uh, while watching a Premier League match. Now, like, I've seen empty seats during cup matches and stuff when I'm watching it on, like, those, like, random, like, Chinese streams. But... I saw empty seats last season during the Premier League. Like, that's ridiculous for a club Chelsea size. So I think a successful season for us would be if Frank Lampard could establish a brand of football that the fans could get behind that's enjoyable to watch, but that is also a blueprint that we could build on for the future. Because I'm not necessarily focused on, you know, overachieving this season and, you know, m maybe getting in maybe qualifying for the Champions League just so we could get bounced out of it in, you know, the round of 32 next year. I'm focused on establishing something that we can build on for the future. I know it sounds cheesy, it sounds lame, but it's actually a rally cry. <laughs> like, please establish something. It's We need something more enjoyable than last season. Um, but, you know, time will tell. I think I think if we, could, if we finish in the top six, in the top... We lost Hazard, and you know our our other two best attackers, Loftus Cheek and Cho, um, are injured. So, you know we have to take that into consideration. But uh, Andres, before we wrap up this episode, I want to mention uh, one last thing. And you know, if you're an American listener, this is probably gonna piss you off because NBC is deciding to fuck us again. Um, it was brought to my attention courtesy of. Roman's Empire pod ultra Ron. Uh, he tweeted at us. He goes, well, I got a conversation point. What do you guys think of the changes to the NBC sports streaming of the premier league? And the fact that man city is launching a streaming service at one pound 99 pence a month. Well, we have to pay at least that for friendlies. 
Um, so for those of you that don't know, um, NBC is <laughs> they're they're basically fucking us. So if you have the gold the gold membership, Andres, this is what I understood from it. If you have the gold membership, you could still watch live matches. However, the replays won't be available for at least six and a half to eleven and a half hours after the match took place. So for uh, for the people in England, not until the next day. Um, for the people in the United States, not until that evening. Um, that seems kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah, I I don't get it, man. If you're already for one, you pay your cable subscriber to have NBC Sports, the home of the Premier League. Then the next thing they tell you is that, you know, the those usual free replays, because if they were on cable, you get a free replay, are now not going to be free. I You don't even think of it as free. Like yeah, it's right, just, right, right. It's included. Yeah, like, Let's say included. Now you're adding this extra tier to watch something you're already paying for. And and the thing that bugs me, I think Man City's probably doing the right thing for their fans is that hey, we get that these this is gonna be becoming an issue. Come directly to the source to get your football for only two bucks a month instead of paying well, two bucks a month for a season, you're gonna be paying, let's say $24, let's say close to 30 maybe $30 because it's actually in pounds. So $30 for the whole season. But you get everything live when it's ready, whenever you can watch it, versus the the NBC coverage, which is going to be delayed. And, man, I, I don't get why there's so much penny-pinching going on with, with NBC and then with Chelsea specifically because Chelsea fans had to pay if they wanted the direct – uh, streaming and, and the legal streaming of off preseason games, which is ridiculous. If if a fan wants to watch a preseason game... Why the fuck should we have to pay anything, period? Honor the fan for actually caring about a preseason game. These are games that you get maybe 30 minutes of quality football because the rest is just kind of figuring it out. So I, mean, I didn't pay two ninety nine because I don't want to watch Bakayoko walk for 45 minutes. Or pass it straight out of bounds five times a match. But yeah, the, this is just a step further. This is, this is what, these are the kind of little gimmicks that push people into using the fake streams. If you yeah. think that fake streams are an issue, it's because of this crap. I, I can't believe that it's getting to this point where now just gold doesn't get you absolutely everything. Now there's an extra step you need to go and pay a little bit extra to get that other stuff. I was mentioning before that hopefully, as Americans, that me now that Pulisic is on the squad, Chelsea should get most of their matches aired compared to last season. But at the end of the day, if you miss the match, you're going to have to wait till the next day to watch the replay unless you go to an illegal site now. So... It, it's just ridiculous. Just yeah. that, why that little bit of extra? The, this whole, the fact that now sports are being taken into the streaming site era is just ridiculous. Sports are supposed to be live, and if you can't catch them live, you paid already for, to have it live. You can then yeah. just kind of watch it when you get home. But now they're adding that. It, it's too much, man. I, I'm I'm shocked. I, I'll just have to DVR everything, and if it's even on cable. And then if not, guess what? I'm going to have to find an alternative because this is just dumb. You know, the thing for me is like, I mean, we're from the United States, right? The Premier League, yes, it's growing. Football's growing as a sport. But it's not on in every bar you walk into or every restaurant you walk into. You know, if it's a Sunday morning during football season – there's not one soccer game on any of the TVs, right? So it's not like fans are going to, you know, if, if they're not going to subscribe to this NBC Sports, they could just go to your bar and, and, and watch the match every week. You might be able to catch it most of the time, but for 16 or 18 weeks out of the season while the Giants are playing and you're in a bar in New York, you're not going to be watching soccer. And it's unfair to the fans that, live and breathe this like us like we can't go to every game we you know we don't live in london we don't experience the the chelsea the true chelsea fanhood culture day in and day out and 
for the actual league to shackle us like this by doing a deal like this, it's just fucking bullshit to be completely honest. And yes, I understand it's, it's, you know, it's, it's capitalism. It's, you know, it's business. That's how the world works, but fuck that, you know, at some point they just have to do something for football fans. And, you know, I know, I know I'm, I'll speak this, speak this into existence, even though I know it's not going to change a thing, but you know, people seem to forget the real reason why, uh, why sports are special in the first place. Like, and it's not just soccer. I mean, we're seeing streaming rights bounce all over the place from the UFC to, uh, to even the MLS. I live in Los Angeles and I can't even watch an LAFC game in English on cable television. The only cable channel they play on is ESPN when they have like special kickoff times or they're playing on Univision, which I don't mind the Spanish commentary. It's usually more entertaining, but they're not not every game is even on like it's just absolutely ridiculous but anyways that's it i'm done um (laughs) that brings us to the end of this episode i mean andres it was good to be back behind the mic and to be completely honest it was nice to uh not really have a script for once (laughs) i mean we had a lot to talk about It, it was kind of a generalization of the whole summer uh i guess it this is the perfect time to talk about what we're gonna do next so Next week, we'll try to recap the end of the preseason as well as trying to go down at least the top six teams, see what they've done this summer, what kind of headlines are still revolving around each of the clubs, and maybe what we're going to expect from them this season. So it'll be kind of like a top six in review leading into the first week of the Premier League. Yeah, just one more week of transfer rumors. I mean, at, at least incoming transfers. Uh, incoming transfers yeah like how many more times are we going to see Dybala linked with Tottenham oh I'm going to go in next week that's it it's game over (laughs) Uh, but anyways Andres thanks for coming on as always man it's great to have you as a part of the as a part of the cast permanently now so your first full season baby let's go Um, let's go but yeah um, until next week guys you know thanks for listening to the show Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod tweet at us um we did get a couple fan stories in um that were absolutely awesome um and we want more so send them to us romansempirepod at gmail.com email us guys tell us how you became chelsea fans especially if you're stateside you know we want to hear how you fell in love with the club that we love we want to we want to bring this chelsea community closer and that's a really good way to do it so reach out to us let us know what you guys think and until next week Keep the blue flag flying high.